Welcome to Kelly Dry's Adlo Access Podcast, and this is Simone Roach. There's a lot going on at the FTC and in consumer protection news more generally. And this blog post highlights some recent FTC-related news, as well as several issues related to the FTC's legal authority that bear watching. Intuit. As we blogged here, the FTC filed suit in March against Intuit, for its alleged deception in claiming that its online tax preparation service is free when it's only free for taxpayers filing simple returns. And as we reported, the FTC filed an administrative complaint while also seeking a TRO in federal district court, even as multiple state AGs were investigating and Intuit claimed it had pulled its free claims off its website. And soon after, the FTC lost its motion for the TRO. The states and Intuit entered into a multi-state settlement, and Intuit moved for withdrawal of the FTC's case from administrative adjudication, per FTC Rule 3.26c, to allow the FTC to determine whether the public interest warrants further litigation, which the FTC granted. In its motion for withdrawal, Intuit argued that the case had become moot, in large part due to the multi-state settlement. However, on August 19th, the Commission issued an order disagreeing with that assessment and returning the case to administrative litigation. And soon after, FTC Complaint Council filed a motion for summary decision seeking entry of a cease and desist order without need for a trial. The merits of this case are interesting. FTC counsel argues that Intuit shouldn't be able to use the word free unless the product is free for everyone or, alternatively, the conditions for making it free and the fact that it isn't free for everyone are clearly disclosed at the outset of the offer. But the dynamics between the FTC and the state AGs are just as notable. In its recent motion, FTC counsel argues that an FTC order is necessary because the state settlement is inadequate, allows ongoing deception and harm, and undermines consumer welfare. In particular, says FTC counsel, the state settlement allows key disclosures to be hidden behind a hyperlink for space-constrained ads and sunsets key provisions after 10 years. At a time when the FTC is increasingly teeming with the states to obtain monetary relief post-AMG, this battle over the adequacy of the settlement could get messy. Lesser-known kids' advertising provision in MAGMOS, Section 18H. There's a provision in MAGMOS that's worth a reminder. Section 18H reads, The Commission shall not have any authority to promulgate any rule in the children's advertising proceeding pending on May 28, 1980, or in any substantially similar proceeding on the basis of a determination that such advertising constitutes an unfair act or practice. Congress added this provision to the law, along with Magmos's onerous rulemaking requirements, in response to the FTC's perceived overreach in the 70s, Notably, its proposal to regulate kids' advertising, KidVid, the pending proceeding referenced in 18H. And while that proceeding was generally viewed as an effort to regulate TV ads for unhealthy food, 
the FTC's proposal extended more broadly to a potential ban on all televised advertising for any product to audiences composed of a significant proportion of children who are too young to understand the selling purpose of or otherwise comprehend or evaluate the advertising. In other words, the rulemaking record makes it possible to construe substantially similar proceeding within the meaning of 18H quite broadly. At least one senator hasn't forgotten about this provision. In the markup to Senator Markey's kids' privacy bill, section 1628, Senator Lee inserted an amendment stating that nothing in this act may be construed to authorize any action by the commission that would violate section 18H of the FTC Act. The question now is how this provision might affect the FTC's current efforts to strengthen privacy protections for kids and teens. The FTC's commercial surveillance ANPR includes numerous questions about kids and teens that extend far beyond the FTC's authority under COPA, presumably in reliance on other legal authority. The FTC also is planning an October virtual event on stealth advertising directed to kids and teens, and just this week invited additional public comment on this issue. Is the FTC considering MAGMAS rulemaking here? And would it proceed under its deception or unfairness authority? If the latter, would Congress or the courts find the rulemaking to be substantially similar to KIDVID? The FTC's other MAGMAS rulemakings. With so much focus on the FTC's commercial surveillance ANPR, we shouldn't forget that the FTC has two other MAGMAS rulemakings underway, one on impersonation fraud launched December 2021, and another on deceptive earnings claims launched February 2022. And so far, the FTC has sought comment in both proceedings through an ANPR, but has not yet advanced to the stage of proposing a rule. We're watching here for clues about the FTC's ability to navigate the cumbersome MAGMAS process in proceedings that at this juncture are narrower and more focused than the FTC's privacy effort. The impersonation fraud rulemaking is fairly specific and is based on numerous FTC cases that the agency states demonstrate the prevalence required by MAGMAS. While the earnings claims rulemaking is broader, especially given the multiple contexts and industries in which earnings claims are made, it's still more defined than the privacy ANPR, since it relates to a specific type of claim. Even with this more defined focus, the ANPR has resulted in over 1,600 comments, which the FTC must now review before proceeding to the proposed rule stage. Progress in these first two rulemakings could shed light on how the FTC will fare in the third. Another threat to the FTC's authority, Axon Enterprise versus FTC. On the heels of its loss in AMG, the FTC is facing another challenge at the Supreme Court, this time in a case involving its administrative process. The question in this case, Axon Enterprise versus FTC, is whether a company can challenge the constitutionality of the FTC and its administrative process in federal district court 
or whether it must follow the procedures laid out in Section 45 of the FTC Act for review of cease and desist orders. As a legal matter, the Supreme Court will be considering whether, in enacting Section 45, Congress impliedly stripped federal district courts of jurisdiction over constitutional challenges to the FTC's structure and process. If the answer is yes, then companies must wait until an order has been entered before raising constitutional challenges and then pursue their claims in a court of appeals with a Section 45 review process. If the answer is no, then companies may bring constitutional challenges to federal district court whenever they have standing to do so, potentially in the midst of an investigation or administrative litigation. Why is this important? The AMG case blocked the FTC's main avenue for obtaining monetary relief, Section 13B, forcing it to rely on other tools to obtain such relief. One of those tools is obtaining a cease and desist order through administration litigation and then seeking monetary relief in federal district court under Section 19. And if companies can bring constitutional challenges in the midst of an investigation or administrative litigation, the FTC's path to obtaining monetary relief, indeed any relief, becomes that much more difficult. In addition, Federal district courts weighing constitutional challenges may lack relevant expertise, on example, privacy or advertising issues, and are not obliged to provide the FTC with the deference afforded by the Rule 45 review process. The consequences here could be significant. Individual liability. One final tidbit to highlights is the fact that in at least two recent high-profile cases involving Twitter and Facebook, the FTC decided not to pursue individual liability. As listeners may recall, some FTC commissioners have emphasized the need to name individuals in its cases and have criticized settlements that fail to do so. For example, Commissioner Slaughter and then Commissioner Chopra dissented from the 2019 settlement with Facebook despite other significant relief obtained, largely due to the failure to name Mark Zuckerberg in the case. They leveled similar criticisms in TikTok and Google. And Chia Khan has also emphasized individual liability in her speeches. We don't believe that the FTC is retreating from its commitment to pursue individual liability in its cases. However, these two data points suggest that at least recognizes the challenges and trade-offs of doing so in particular cases. We'll be watching for further developments on this front to see how the current set of commissioners is approaching the issue of individual liability. If you'd like more information on what you've heard on this topic, please contact Jessica Rich, and you can find her contact details in the show notes and also please see our Advertising and Privacy Law Resource Center available at kellydry.com. And please download the Adlo Access app for Apple and Android phones available in the Apple app and Google Play stores. 